chapter 4. We're going to read the chapter responsively, 24 verses. I'll read verse 1. You'll read verse 2. We'll let our little ones be dismissed for children's Bible time, second grade on down. You can be dismissed to children's Bible time with Mr. Frank. Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, reading verses 1 through 24. I'll read verse 1. You'll read verse 2 on down through the end of the chapter. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1 says, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every man a tribe, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in your lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared out of the out of every tribe a man. Debbie, do I have nursery coverage downstairs? You can double check on that. Verse five. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan. And take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Boy, that'd be a good title for the message. But it's not, Eden. Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the ark of the covenant stood. And they are there unto this day. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of Jordan, until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people, according to all that Moses commanded Joshua, and the people hasted and passed over. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over, and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel, as Moses spake unto them. Remember in verse 12, that's the group that wanted to stay on the fringe. You'll let me say again, it's not part of the message. But you're on the outskirts, you're on the fringe of Christianity, you're going to be the first one to fall. Those tribes were the first ones to fall. God allowed them to stay there. That's not where God wants you to be. He wants you to be in the thick of it. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord in the battle on, to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. 
And the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come ye up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land, that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. That all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Father, may your blessing be upon the reading of your word, the message of the hour, as we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Where's Eden? Oh, downstairs. Okay. A trigger warning. You've got to give her the title because she wants a title. Trigger warning. Uh, give me the trigger. What is a trigger warning? A trigger warning is a mental health-minded alert. Kind of popular in business nowadays, Brother Paul, that when you're going to say something that might cause an emotional response because we wouldn't want anybody to get overstimulated, uh, that you've got to give a trigger warning so that uh, they can know that there is a high risk uh, that, that I am about to elicit an upsetting emotional response. They have also found in trigger warnings that they give, just the very fact that they give them, that it makes people more apprehensive just to receive a trigger warning, more so than it would if they went through the actual, actual hearing. Isn't that an amazing thing? So it gives rise to hypersensitivity and paranoia. What, what, could, be, what could be wrong? What could be going on uh, in uh, this world today? It can negatively reinforce trauma as central to identity. <clears throat> Are you ready? On my bedroom dresser at home, on the top of the dresser to the right-hand side, there's a picture of me holding my granddaughter, Reagan, one hour after she passed away. It is there as a memorial. Now, that will trigger an emotional response. But emotional response is not the problem. God intended memorials to trigger an emotional response. So we have a memorial going on here, and it has a purpose. Chapter 4 is talking about that, what they're to do, how they're to do it, and what that memorial is supposed to represent. So I see that picture every morning. 
And I don't cry every morning. I don't cry for Daniel and Kelly every morning and the loss of their little baby. I don't do that. If you dwell on it, the event, the tragedy, it will bring sorrow. It it just will. It will elicit an emotional response. It would cause the world to say, trigger warning, trigger warning. But is that what God wants you to do? Is God trying to add to your sorrow when it comes to a memorial? No, absolutely not. So what is God's design? Look at verse 19. The people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and camped in Gilgal. That date is important. We'll come back to that in a moment. The twelve stones which they took out of Jordan to Joshua Pitch and Gilgal. He's taken to the children of Israel saying, When your children shall ask, and they will. What's this picture mean? What's this memorial mean? Why is that there? Why do you keep this? Why is, why is that over there? Why, why are these things going on? Oh, why do you go to church? Why do you, why, why do you go knock on door? Why do you do these things? That you'll have an answer for them. And what, what is that answer? The answer is that you shall let your children know, saying, verse 22, Israel came over this Jordan on dry ground, on dry land. God has moved in our midst in a powerful way. God's not trying. To make you cry. God's trying to get you to see His grace and His goodness. God wanted them to focus on the solution. The solution is the Lord. They had no way across, we know that. Identify a problem, work towards a solution. It's a good management philosophy. Uh, Here in in leadership uh, at Lighthouse, we identify a problem, we work on a solution. Uh, We get in a room, we're solution-oriented. Not problem-oriented. This memorial is solution-oriented, not problem-oriented. Some people dwell on Remember, they remember only their past sorrow. Uh, they're, they're in a bad spot. They're melancholy. They're, they're down. They're depressed. And uh, they come over. Oh, everything's so bad. And uh, they are continually d- dwelling on the sorrow. And as a result, they are sorrowful. God does not want, God's not asking them to dwell on the sorrow. God's asking them to dwell on the solution. So he sends 12 men into the midst of the river. They take 12 stones and they, re, they erect a memorial. What was that to remind them of? Was it to remind them of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness? Was it to remind them of Egypt and the slavery, the bitter, harsh conditions under Pharaoh's taskmasters? Not at all whatsoever. That memorial was to remind them of God's provision in an impossible situation. They were leaving Israel, or they were leaving Egypt, and they came to the Red Sea, and God parted it. It's mentioned here in verse 23. They were, they had been 40 years in the wilderness. They're about to go into the promised land and face Jericho, their first obstacle. Uh, but that water is in the way, and God moved that on their behalf. It is a memorial to remember God's moving in their midst in a powerful way. It is not meant for them to dwell on the sadness. So you've got a choice. You can dwell on your past failures. You can dwell on your past disappointments. 
You can dwell on your failure as a parent in the past. You can dwell on the failure of your ability to educate your children or the education uh, institutions of America. But I'm just here to tell you tonight, God doesn't want you to dwell on the past. God's got a future that is as bright as the promises of God. And He still wants to move the obstacles in your life that are keeping you from going forward. Uh, but first, you've got to get your feet wet. We talked about that last week. Get in there. Uh, get your feet wet. Launch forward in service and obedience. Don't expect, as we mentioned this morning from Ruth, we mentioned last week from Ruth, mentioned last week from Joshua, don't expect for the waters to part if you're not willing to get your feet in. Don't expect for God to throw you a handful on purpose if you're not willing to get in the field and get to work. Uh, God has a reward for those for laborers. God wants to deliver you. God wants you to get your feet wet. God wants you to launch yourself into service. He does not want you to focus on your hurt. He doesn't want you to focus on your bad habits. He doesn't want you to focus on your hang-ups. And you've got some. Your trouble, your gloom, your despair, your care, your agony. He wants you to look for the memorials, the things that He's done in your life, and be reminded that He still departs amazing grace, deliverance. 1995, Ferrari understood that they had a problem. Ferrari manufactured a certain number of automobiles. And people were buying up those automobiles with the intent of Flipping them. Now, people flip houses. I don't know if you realize people flip, flip automobiles. And so they, people would buy the Ferrari and then they would flip it because they know that there are rich people in the world that weren't one of the chosen ones to get these uh, 1,000 or 19, under 2,000 uh, uh, models that were being built. And so there was always somebody out there that wanted one. And so they could buy it for whatever the price was and then double the price or triple the price. And people were making money. And Ferrari didn't want them to do that. So Ferrari instituted, in 1995, a 24-month lease. You could have a Ferrari, limited edition, F50, for $5,600 a month. Plus, $240,000 down. So you paid $240,000... Theo's thinking, this is not a good thing. Uh, A $240,000 down payment for 24 months, you had a lease that was $5,600 a month. And at the end of the 24 months, then you could buy it for $150,000 to keep the car or turn it back in and lose your $240,000 down and your $5,600 a month. Debbie's going, I know. I don't think this is a good idea. Theo's got the same look going on over here, I'll just just tell you. Say, why would anybody do that? Well, uh, crazy people do crazy things. So, uh, that was 1995. I'm here to tell you, in 2024, Porsche's decided to do the same thing. Uh, So, you can buy, uh, they are manufacturing 1,963 Porsche 911 STs. The purchase price is $290,000. But you are required to keep it for one year. You're not allowed to sell it. 
You say, preacher, that's, that's a whole lot of money. Now, I'm never going to be able to buy a Ferrari or a Porsche 911 ST. I don't have $5,600 a month. I don't have the $240,000 down payment. And I don't have $150,000 to keep the car. Well, praise the Lord for that, because our offerings don't reflect that you've got that either. <laughs> you can focus on what you don't have. or And, and these guys, why are they buying it? Uh, typically, these guys buy it not to drive them. They drive them, they buy them to park them in their showroom so they can say, look, look, look at what I own. But I remind you from this morning that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God's able to do better than that. And God's solution is not a car that is going to break down. And I tell you what, doesn't matter how much you pay for the car, it is going to break down. It's just a matter of time. Man's solutions are temporary, and they have fine print. God's solutions are permanent, and God wants us to focus on the permanent solution that He has given to us. God gave them a solution uh, to go forward. God wanted future generations to know that He has a uh, that He has a future for them. So look around the room tonight. There are young people in the room. I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for your life. Dave here, God has a plan for your life, buddy. Away beyond the turmoil and the strife of everyday living, William. God got a plan for you. And it's great and mighty and glorious if you're willing to get your feet wet for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, life is bigger than me. <clears throat> life is bigger than you. Follow God. Now, I am a, I am a typical parent. Uh, Mrs. Bishop and I have made some amazing blunders in our life. Every once in a while, Mrs. Bishop, she hadn't said this recently, but uh, when, when the kids were first married, she'd say, boy, they're, they're, they're making a big, big blunder. And I'd say, well, we made some. She said, like, like what? And so I'm not going to share with you, but I would remind her. And she, I would say, remember when we did this and we did that? And she go, oh, yeah, that was dumb. Yeah, that was really dumb. But we did it, and we own it. <clears throat> uh, but we don't focus on that. And over the years, we have a tendency to forget those big blunders. Satan wants you to focus on them. God wants you to move forward. Satan wants you to focus on the slavery, the hatred, the taskmasters of Egypt. God wants you to move forward. Satan wants you to focus on the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the waste, the wasted years. God wants you to move forward. What are you going to do? So God has them erect a memorial, not because he wants them to focus on the 40 lost years or the wasted years in Egypt or the taskmasters or the hardship. God has them raise a memorial so that the children say, why you got a memorial? And you can say, because in spite of my mistakes, God moved in great ways. And God did great things in my life and God can do great things in your life if you'll just get your feet wet. And follow him because it's a whole lot bigger than you. What mean ye by these stones? An incredible obstacle that God removed. God did it. And God is still doing things today, and God will do it in your life if you will but follow him. Why is it so important to do that? Why is it so important to cultivate faith in the life of Mary Joy, Brother Williams? Why is it important to do that? Why? Why? Uh, because, I'll just tell you, uh, if you haven't watched the news this week, the world is growing darker and darker. It's not good news in the evening news. 
World news tonight. Bad news. They make their money on bad news. God's got good news. He's got eternal life. He's got it all under control. The world is dark, sinister, sinful. If you're not careful, technology will drown out the spiritual. Again, this week, people said to me, oh, Pastor, what, uh, Middle East, what, what do you think about what's going on there? Because crazy stuff going on in the Middle East. What, what do I think? What did I think? I think I needed to renew my mind. And so I uh, uh, set my uh, Bluetooth and turned it on the car. I pushed, uh, uh, I was in the car, I was driving, and I pushed Bluetooth. And it was just quite, quite amazing. Uh, I didn't even realize that the phone was already turned on. And I was on... And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, Revelation chapter 20. And I thought, well, that was good. So I went through Revelation chapter 20, I don't know, uh, 15, 20, maybe 25 times. And then I uh, said, uh, just just uh, give me random texts out of Revelation. I went through Revelation, I don't know, maybe, maybe three or four times this week. And you know what it reminds me of? That memorial? That book? Reminds me, those stones, you want to know what they remind me? That God is still powerful, He's still on the throne, He's still got everything in hand, and Satan is not going to be, He is not going to be victorious. Even though, Revelation 20, and He went up on the breadth of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. That's pretty dismal. That's not the end. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That's important to remember that God is on the throne. It's important to tell our children that God is on the throne. That He still rules and in the affairs of men. A prayer may be illegal in school. Bible, may, Bible reading may be stopped. They can remove the Ten Commandments. But they will never remove the power of God. Amen. Warning. Be careful... That you do not allow wicked society to dictate your values, to dictate your focus. God didn't say focus on Egypt. He didn't say focus on the Egyptian army. He didn't say focus on Pharaoh. He said focus on these stones and focus on what I have done for you and what I will do for others if they will follow me follow me. So have you erected any stones in your life? Memorials? Are you bold? Boldly passing on a vibrant faith to your Sunday school class, to the children in your home? Do they look at you and know that they have a mom and dad and aunt and an uncle, a grandmother and a grandfather that believes God? Oh, it's not book a room. Where do you want to go? Well, let's, I'll tell you what. Let's go to the Bavarian Alps. You can stay at the Schloss Elm. Elmau, Elmu, E-L-M-A-U. I have to go to Brother Oldenburg for the pronunciation of that. That's beautiful. That's um, built in 1916. Uh, you can rent a basic room there for uh, $854 a night. Or a suite. For $910 a night. They cater to the elite of the world. They have held uh, 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 global summits for world leaders around the world. They gather there in this beautiful place to talk about 
how they're going to be the solution to all the world's problems. They ain't. I'm sorry. They are not. God is on the throne. And God wants you to know that he has not lost touch or track. Nothing has caught him by the surprise. He didn't sit up in heaven and say, oh my, they're locked in bombs into Israel. What is Israel going to do? Those poor people, they're going to be annihilated. No, that didn't kick out by surprise. And that's not, what is going on in Israel today is not the last time. Last time, Revelation 20. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I'll remind you that I have not seen nor ear heard neither has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. Erect some stones, let your children know that we serve a powerful God who is still doing mighty things. So what is the what is the stone? Well, here we are in verse 21. You look at this, they're erecting these stones. And this is a simple question, and we'll answer it next week. But is this a place where they're supposed to dwell? No. Is this a cornerstone of some house that they're supposed to build? No. What is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be a place in their past that they look, but what are they, what are they supposed to be doing? Where are they supposed to be going? They're supposed to be going forward. They're supposed to be, I suppose if you wanted to erect a sign next to this memorial, uh, you'd say, on to Jericho. On to the next battle. On to the next obstacle. I, I see the picture of, of, of Reagan every morning, but it's not a place where I dwell. Mrs. Bishop and I will go to Kingsport, Tennessee, where uh, Daniel and Kelly live. And uh, from time to time, we'll go by the cemetery. There's a little gravestone there in Babyland. Two of our grandbabies are there. We go there. Uh, we, may, we may stop and pray for mom and dad. Uh, we, may take, we may take a flower. But we don't live there. On occasion, we'll visit there. But, but we don't live there. Where do you live? Uh, we, live we live with the grandkids that are alive. What is, then then why, why erect a memorial? Memorials are not a bad thing. Memorials are a good thing. Uh, I go to the cemetery where uh, Linda's stone is. I, I don't see Tom there with a tent. Now, I know Tom has been there because he takes flowers. Uh, a baby Sadie, she got a marker there. Got a little picture. There are balloons there. Pe- people have visited there, but, but nobody living there. It's not a place to live. Then, then why, why, why do we put a stone? I, I think... Um, I wrote this in my margin somewhere. I know I did. <laughs> I think that it would be neat if every stone of every Christian said, in hope of the resurrection. I just think that. Oftentimes there's a Bible verse. There's something that points to the fact that this memorial 
does not mean this is the end. This memorial is just the beginning. That picture on my dresser at home is not, is not the end. There's no reason to look at that picture and cry because baby Reagan is with Jesus Christ in heaven, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And we have that confidence. If you don't have that confidence, then, then I understand why you're sorrowful. Linda's marker is a reminder that she's in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And she wouldn't come back here to be with you if she could. Why would anybody want to come back here? I don't know. I know. A Fairfax County, Texas. That would be a good reason to come back. Oh, several of you rolled your eyes. Thank you very much for that. They are fleeting moments. A memorial is a fleeting moment. It is a reminder that this is not the end. That cemetery stone is not a, is not a, a place to dwell. It is a place... So when your children say, tell me about Grandma, you can say, Grandma knew Jesus Christ as her Savior, and she's in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know Christ is your Savior, then when you pass from this earth into eternal, into eternity, you can be with Christ too. But if you, don't, if you reject Christ, uh, there's a bad place, it's called hell. And there's a weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and, and fire and brimstone. And it is not a place where you want to go, but that's the place where people go that reject Christ. That stone, those stones are there to remind us that that is not the end. That's just the beginning. They are reminders of the past. So, uh, look at verse 19. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth month of the first day. What is the significance of that date? Why, 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 why dates? Well, uh, they're chronological markers for starters. A date is a chronological marker. It puts this event at a certain time in the history of mankind, for starters. But deeper than that, this particular one, it is 40 years to the day. Forty years to the day since Israel marched out of Egypt. You tell me that's coincidental? I'm not coincidental. Tenth day of the first month. Forty years to the day of God's deliverance from Egypt. What, is it? what, what, what do you think message God's trying to say? Listen, I delivered them then. I'm delivering you now. I'm doing it on the same day. This is not coincidence. It is not happenstance. It is not accidental. It is on purpose. And I did it. I did it for them. I am doing it for you. And I will do it for you if you'll go forward and get your feet wet. Soon, God is going to deliver them from Jericho. Sue was always first place in sales. Company guys hated her. Because not only was she first place in sales and sales contacts, but she was way out there in first place. I mean, no one was even close to the number of contacts and phone calls and, uh, and things that she did for the company. And they said, we are, we are killing ourselves 
uh, trying to get contacts and to get appointments and try to get sales calls. And she, and she is ten times better than we are. How can that be possible? Well, one, she was lying. She was just fraud. She was just making up the record. She was just writing stuff down. There's not a thing of it that was true. And you get mad because there's corruption in the world. Or you can take hope from Psalm 62, verse 12. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongest mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. And he does. You get mad at the world and the world system and what's going on. Now, Romans chapter 2, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his work. So, so what does that say to me? I, listen, you can cheat all you want. Judgment day's coming. And God's going to right every wrong. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 18. The wicked worketh a deceitful work, but to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. What is that? That's what we ought to be telling our children. Uh, you live in wickedness, you're going to be, you're going to answer for that. But you do right, you get your feet wet, you serve the Lord, you, you follow God, God's going to move great obstacles on your behalf, and you are going to be a living testimony of God's grace throughout all eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. If any man's work shall abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. I am a casual bike rider as opposed to a serious bike rider. So when Mrs. Bishop takes off, I take off. I, I'll, go, I'll go take a ride somewhere. I think my longest ride was 92 miles. I started here and rode up along the uh, Potomac River and went across into Georgetown and down the CNO Canal to White's Ferry and the White's Ferry across. I'm really bummed that they haven't opened the ferry back up. Uh, across the river to uh, Leesburg and got on the WOD bike trail uh, without my phone and without GPS, uh, just for a Mrs. Warren there, and uh, rode, rode back the paved path. Uh, on the way back. So, uh, so now when they go, uh, Caitlin tracks me. She, she gives me a, uh, Apple tracker to make sure that she knows where I am because, uh, you may be an adult and you may be a parent, but your children grow up and they think that you have to tell them what you're doing. Anyways. And so, I, I rode just recently and, uh, uh took a, took a trip and I said, uh, talking to Daniel on the phone, he's training, training for a marathon. And, uh, I said to Daniel, uh, tell Landon, the grand, grandson, how old is Landon? Twelve? Eight? 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 Wow, eight? Is that, man, he might not be ready for this yet. I said, uh, do you tell Landon to keep working on his bike riding because uh, Grandpa wants to ride with him from Cumberland, Maryland down the canal path. It's all downhill, Ruth. It's all, don't, it's all downhill. <clears throat> to uh, Georgetown. And uh, so you tell him to keep working. And Daniel said, hold on, I will put you on speakerphone. You can tell Daniel. So uh, he put me on speaker, Landon. So he put me on speakerphone and I said, uh, Landon, uh, Grandpa wants to ride, you to ride with him. I wanted the boys to do it with me, but uh, they're too chicken, they're too soft. Uh, you know, they won't do it. Grandpa wants you to do it with them. And Landon's going, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. I said, you know, we'll pack our tents and we'll camp out along the way. Oh, man, he's all on board. And so Daniel looks at him and says, so I'm training for this marathon. Tomorrow I'm running 13 miles. 
Oh, so will you ride your bike with me? And, and Landon goes, oh, 13, 13 miles, that's a long ways. And so Daniel says, hey, hey, granddad, how far is it from Cumberland to Washington? I, I don't know, 133. <laughs> Landon thinks he might not be ready before that yet. Well, how do you get ready? And you just, you just keep pedaling. How do you go forward in the Christian life? One step at a time. You keep moving forward in faith. You keep getting your feet wet. You, pe- you keep putting God to the test. You keep watch. You keep at watching as God starts to move things in your life and move obstacles and make the way ahead dry so that you can go through and claim the land and have spiritual victory. We tend to look at people and say, man, Joshua, what a big guy he is. Moses. What a big guy he is. You know what? They were, they were just guys that put their feet in the water. But they serve the same God that you do if you know Christ as your Savior. The God that parted the Red Sea is the same God that you serve. The God that parted the Jordan is the same God that you serve. Will you go forward in faith? Or will you cower in fear? That is the decision every single Christian must make. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You're here tonight. You're a Christian. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Hey, preacher, pray for me. I do not want to cower in fear. I want to go forward in faith. And that's me. That's what I want to do. Father, I thank you for Christians who desire to go forward in faith. I pray that you'd help them to do it. The memorials that we raise, I pray that they be not a place where we dwell, not a place where we build a house, Not a place where we camp out, but a place where we look back and say, this this stone in the graveyard is not where Grandma is. This this stone in the graveyard is not where baby Sadie is. This stone in the graveyard is not where baby Reagan is. This stone in the graveyard is put here to remind you, that there is a heaven and there is a hell, and you need to prepare. God has provided a way, but you need to step forward in faith. Help us to do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here tonight, but you are not a Christian. You do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's never been a time in your life when you admitted that you were a sinner, a desperate sinner, and come to him for salvation. Tonight can be that night. And you lift your hand, raise your hand and say, Preacher, that's me. I'm here. I am not saved. I need Christ. Pray for me. God is speaking to my heart. And I'll pray for you. Say, Preacher, pray for me. Slip your hand up. Hold it up for just a moment. Say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I need to be saved. Will you pray for me? Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Zachary playing on the piano. The altar is open. You want to pray? The altar is a great place to do that. You want somebody to pray with you? We'd be delighted to do that.